श्री राजी गोपाल की जाए गोरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए गोर भक्त वृंद की जाए प्रेम आनंदे Good evening, everyone. Arvind Kijai. Any questions this evening? Perhaps the other night you were talking about bhakti and jnana, and you said that in order to uh, succeed in jnana, you have to have some bhakti, and then we have to have some samvad and jnana to uh-huh. to succeed in bhakti. So. Uh, But I've been wondering, sort of, about the like proportion kind of, because there seems to be a danger of one spiritual practice in bhakti becoming more like theoretical and more like gathering information and um, slipping more into to the direction of yoga in a way. So, how to uh, how to find the balance of having sufficient knowledge without kind of getting entangled in one's own intelligence and mm-hmm. one point uh, to that is worth um, bringing up is that uh, sometimes we speak about jnana and we speak about bhakti we speak about yoga as three different paths which they are um, but when we invoke the term jnana there we we refer to the path of gyan that is preoccupied with focused on the i want to say the likeness between the atma and the brahman this is kind of the low end of the spectrum of gyan um that type of knowledge is real knowledge the difference between it includes of course obviously the difference between the atma and the purusha and prakriti the atma and and matter self and the body the self and the mind the difference between them and the oneness or the likeness between the atma and brahman this is uh, kind of uh well it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a kind of introductory introduction to essential spiritual life brahmajignasu and the upanishads uh, uh, a number of them i should say uh, focus on that i've given an example before that if you're living in a cave with somebody else you have no idea what the sun is like if one of the cave dwellers should get out somehow and find out what the sun is like and come back how will he describe it to that person all that the sun is including that it brings about vegetation rain uh enlivens the mind so on as it's good for your health so on and so forth how how can you possibly explain it to that person but for lack of being able to do that if you could make a crack in the wall and a little ray of the sun would come in which would be extraordinary in a dark cave there's nothing like light within darkness right suddenly there's light and the darkness is dispelled so it's pretty fascinating hmm? uh but it's not everything that is to be known and experienced 
with regard to, uh, to, to consciousness. So the ray of the sun, in this case, is like the sun. But there's a big difference between the two as well. And the difference, of course, is beautiful. Here the difference between the body and the self is, is, uh, is beautiful to separate as well. But, I mean, when you know the oneness in the context of that, understand the difference, then between yourself and Brahman, or the Absolute, then there's the possibility of that uh, interplay, reciprocal dealings, love. Hmm? Follow? So, um, often when we invoke the term Gyan, in contrast to Bhakti, we're speaking about that. Hmm? And the discipline and the school, if you will, that has been uh, developed for the express purpose of realizing that. That type of knowledge is not... It's included within, but it's just a small part, so to speak, of what we call sambandhagyam. So sambandha, the word itself, means relationship. So... Um, it's the kind of knowledge that equips us to, from a knowledge point of view, to participate in a relationship with the Absolute. Hmm? So knowledge about Bhagwan is form. Knowledge about the, the difference between Maya Shakti and Swarup Shakti, for example. Hmm? Um, uh, all of this is included within bhakti. So Krishna says in the Gita, Raja Vidya Raja Guhyam, that I'm going to speak to you now, it's in the ninth chapter, about the king of knowledge, the king of secrets, and it turns out to be bhakti, haitiki bhakti, ananya bhakti, ananloid bhakti, uttam bhakti, manamanam bhavabhad bhakti, he says, this is at the end of the chapter, just think of me, become my devotee. This is the be-all and end-all. Of, of of knowledge, so um, when we say that bhakti, or let's say, I think we were speaking about nam and kirtan the other day, without sambandhagyan, is uh, was is often not very efficacious, because without sambandhagyan. You may be chanting, but you may not, may not know what the offenses are either, and you may make them. So, just to give an example, right? Sometimes we say Bhakti Minot emphasized attentive chanting. One of the ways that we can understand attentive chanting is to be attentive to the to the teachings, what they are. Find out that there are aparads. What are they? How to avoid them? For example, Seva aparads, Didi, Nam aparad, and so on, which there are. Ten in number. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, not only is it questionable how much progress one can make without any sambandhagyan, and when we see people who make progress without sambandhagyan, we assume they must have got it in their last life. Hmm? Hmm? I sometimes describe it as a conceptual orientation. So, as you're conceptually oriented, so you're going to act 
accordingly, and then you're going to get a, a corresponding fruit, right? So the conceptual orientation to Uttam Bhakti, this kind of jnana we want, indeed, um, the eligibility to tread the path of bhakti is what? What in a word is it, do you have to have in order to tread the path of bhakti? Faith. Faith in a word. Shraddha is the Sanskrit word. Exactly. Hmm? Now, you have to have faith in one sense to, to, to pursue any discipline. Faith in its efficacy. Otherwise, where are you going to get the, the fuel the energy, the enthusiasm to participate in it. So people have faith in the karma marg. If I do this, I'm going to get going to go to heaven. And they hear from the scriptures about it and so forth, and so forth. Uh, Gyan marg and yoga marg and so forth. But in these other paths, transcendental paths, Gyan, yoga, you need faith, but you need something else. One of the things that's required in the Astanga yoga for example, which is the teaching in the Yoga Sutras that I mentioned the other day, which is also explained in the sixth chapter of the Gita. One of the things that you need along with faith is celibacy, brahmacharya. Now, you can interpret it in a fancy way in modern society, but what it meant um, in its uh, the time of its uh, being... Um, written down and so forth is just what it sounds like <laughs> and it's a uh, pretty high qualification in other words to sit in yoga you have to have some measure of peace kama desire has to somehow or, or, or jnana is also a contemplative life you may not be doing the postures of yoga, but it's introspective, and there's there's dhyan, there's meditation, and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's a different discipline, but a similar similar goal, uh, transcendental goal, let's say. Um, but as the Gita explains, to sit as a contemplative, you have to have done something previous to that to qualify yourself for such sitting. Otherwise, you just become uh, an imitator, a hypocrite, mityatara, mityatara uchite, sauchite. Krishna, you may notice in the six, first six chapters of the Gita, repeatedly, when talking about jnana and karma, repeatedly emphasizes karma, karma, karma. Karma here means nishkam karma. In other words, acting within the social religious system but without being plugged into or motivated by the fruits that can be derived from it. So if you follow the karma marg, uh, you can get uh, certain material results. It's called perverti marg, the path of acquisition. Everybody wants to acquire. Here's a systematic way to inquire that takes into consideration the controlling factors, the godly factor, and working with it, with a license, so to speak, to acquire. Hmm? Nothing belongs to you, but here you get a license to acquire. 
by recognizing to whom it all owns, paying some tax, right? You get to think you own something for a while, but repeatedly you're shown it can't be kept. It's only on loan. That's the karma mark, right? And so it's driven by the attachment to the fruits, the prospect. If I do this, I'll get that. If I don't do this, I'll get something detrimental, bad results. So I don't want that. So you're, you're, you're driven by a prospect of attainment and a fear of punishment, a system of reward and punishment built into, the, into nature, so to speak. What Krishna quickly brings to the fore in the Gita, in the second chapter, well, the second chapter, more the more the third chapter, the second chapter where he's talking about yoga, but then in the third chapter in particular, he starts to emphasize third and fourth chapter karma over again. But now he's talking about karma means living within the social religious system, but without being motivated by, driven by the fruits that you could attain or the fear of what you might 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 incur if you if, if you don't follow the the system but they follow the system without attachment to the results because it is the right thing to do and this is a, this is a kind of yoga this is what we call karma yoga now karma becomes a yoga a means of making connection with the subjective with the Atma, with, with, with the Absolute, mm-hmm. moving away from things, moving away from thoughts, to the, to, to the more. Mm-hmm. It involves having less, and so thinking less, do, doing less. So to think less, to do less, you've got to be preoccupied with something. It's the self. So Krishna stresses in the Gita, don't just go and sit down. Hmm? You heard about this today, now take sannyas. No, 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 no. Stay within the system, hmm? which would typically mean householder. Hmm? And, and but, but now spiritualize your situation by performing your karmic duties within that system. Of course, that system's not in place right now, so that's another thing. We have to get to that, but um, that, that Varnashram system. But without, anyway, plug into that without, the, without being driven by the results, but rather being driven by a higher idea. This should be done hmm, um, for persons living in the world, but there's something more than the world, and, and I'm part of that. Hmm. And so what happens is because you're, you, you come to a state of equilibrium. You're no longer riding on the waves of attainment and then loss and these emotional ups and downs. You've, you've come to a state of equilibrium that, that, that is basic to yoga, hmm? peaceful. Hmm? And you're getting some experience of the self. Hmm? After all, you're letting go, Right? And so the, the false sense of self is being deconstructed because it's constructed out of our attachments, right? 
that's what it is. So in a, in a kind of a, in a graceful way, in a, in a gradual way, I'm deconstructing my karmic identity by understanding what it's constructed out of, my attachments. So he repeatedly emphasizes this, and by doing so, he's saying that in order to enter into contemplative life, you need there's more eligibility required. You've got to be more peaceful. The mind has to be more at rest, right? Um, you can't be sitting and think, I wish I was over there. Better you go over there and deal with the mind in a way that I'm talking about for sitting down prematurely, which then will cause havoc to the whole system, the whole uh, system of teaching that requires teachers and examples and so forth. So there's a strong emphasis there, right? Um, and, and, and for good reason. But the point I'm making is that those paths to do astanga yoga, to do gyan yoga, requires more qualification. Than more el- your eligibility requires more than just faith in them. Hmm? There has to be, for gyan to come into the heart, the heart has to be pure. To sit in yoga, hmm? I mean, it's a lonely life. There's no friends in yoga. There's no friends in gyan. Not anybody that you could take with you. Hmm? So this is this is for people who understand by their just by their having been born, let's say, into the system. However, even uh, it's out of place now, the Varnashram, talking about India, they have some sense about, whoa, renunciation, whoa. They have, <laughs> it's good. Hmm? Right? Western people just run right in and, and uh, want to buy with a credit card, right? pay later, and so forth. Of course, there's advantages to both sides, in one sense. Hmm? Nard says, caution, you know, a good thing, don't hesitate, a good, thing, good opportunity presents itself. If you slip along the way, well, that much further along when you get back up. So he does make that, that kind of argument. Hmm? Uh, at any rate, point being that there, there is greater eligibility required to tread these paths. Now, bhakti on the other hand, is more powerful than yoga or gyan or karma unto themselves. Indeed, without some some measure of bhakti, none of these paths will be fully efficacious in terms of the fruits that they can um, result in. So if we take bhakti unto itself, then it, it's powerful enough to allow persons to participate in bhakti even though they haven't got 
the qualifications that are otherwise required for the transcendentalist, as I'm speaking of. Hmm? The birth of bhakti is sadhusanga, and their faith, if you will, is contagious, and from them we get the seed, and just by association we get the faith, which is the, which is the requisite qualification, so we're able to tread the path. Now, how we will tread the path, Okay, then we have to start looking at it in the same way that we looked at these other paths, within the context of bhakti, so we don't take the bhakti and now tomorrow we go sit under a under a uh, tree here in the jungle and chant 300,000 names a day and and enter into the leela. That would not be possible. So we, we find in the Chaitanya Vaishnavism there's a, there's, there is a, a renounced order, whether you want to call it sannyas or whether you want to call it vaish or babaji. Or, I mean, these people complain sometimes, oh, they're doing taking sannyas, that's not part of it's basically a path of renunciation, whether it be Babaji or Sanyas. The mantra is the same, also, incidentally. At any rate, that's not for the beginner, that's not for everybody. Indeed, to be honest with you, Sanyas or Babaji is not really properly understood, and in the way we're talking about it, as we should, it's not a means. It is a recognition of someone. Of, it's not a means of attainment, but a recognition of attainment. Hmm? You understand? We don't take sannyas to make progress hmm. as much as mis, mis, sannyas is bestowed upon someone who is extraordinary hmm? and has attained. It's more about a uh, uh, measure of renunciation that has been attained than a means to attain renunciation. Sannyasi is supposed to be renounced from the start. Of course, there are, okay, in the traditional system, there are degrees of sannyas. There's the Bahudak, Kudichak, Hungs, Parivrajak, and Hungsa, or Paramhungsa. There, so there, there is some gradation within that, also in the traditional system, which would be in the Gyanmarg. Bhakti hmm? Thakur um, in his time was um, uh, experienced so many Babaji's, which was the renounced system in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, uh, who, who weren't really renounced. There may be some place at the call, the determination of the Acharya to give sannyas somewhat as a means or renounced order to someone. But it's risky. It risks the entire institution's good name because it's not an easy path to walk. If someone is sufficiently schooled, hmm, 
having taken sannyas prematurely, let's say, hmm, as with some exuberance or as a, as a as a means, if I wear the uniform, it will make me act accordingly. Therefore, I want to put it on. Hmm? There's something to be said for that. A lot of young men have this romanticism with, you know, monasticism and renunciation. It's kind of a virile, you know, uh, uh, outlook. Hmm? And uh, 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 but so it, it happens. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas, he was only 25 years old. The other sannyasis in his community were all 70s, at least, 50, 60, 70, Keshava Puri, Ishwar Puri, hmm? uh, Brahmananda Bharati, wearing the deer skin, hmm? until Mahaprabhu disapproved for other reasons, but, so, and so forth. These were heavy, heavy guys. In the metaphorical tree of bhakti, and Chaitanya Charitamrita, they form the roots. Nine, these nine sannyasis, the roots. But Chaitanya Dev was only a 25-year-old boy. 25 or 24? 24-year-old boy. So it's a shocking thing and beautiful. Hmm? Such a charming young boy, young lad. Hmm? Handsome and, and knowledgeable and so forth. The whole world is after the youth, the valuable commodity of, of youth. And here he has taken sannyas. So what did Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma do? He thought, I need to educate this boy in Vedanta, which will give him some support and strength to maintain at such a young age this, this very difficult vow that requires... I mean, with age, of course, there's some advantage in that in youth, you know, your desires are just like, now's the time. Hmm? All your prospects, you know, the world is falling at your feet. Everybody wants you. Hmm? Right? So to, to give up all that then, there's every likelihood that it's that it, 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 it's going to Keep at me and and distract me. So he wanted to sit Sriman Mahaprabhu down and educate him in Vedanta. So if a person enters the renounced order of life at an early age without having really attained the Kanar school bhava, what's to keep him or her safe? Well, the best we can do is educate them. Hmm? And, 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 and they should study the scriptures and gather the sambandhagyan. Hmm? Especially when, in our particular paribar, where Bhaktisiddhanta instituted the sannyas for teaching, hmm? they have to know the scripture. They should be able to speak to the devotees and answer their questions authoritatively by by citing the scripture, and the scriptural culture will corner them. After all, sometimes we refer to the eligibility for bhakti, which is shraddha, faith, 
by the term what? Shastriya. Shastriya Shraddha. Shastriya means that argument that's, that's coming from above, that argument over the centuries, hmm, or that's, that's, that's beginningless, it's eternal, ultimately it's, it's unauthored, I mean, it comes from God, it's revelation. Um, uh, that awakens faith. The guru, the sadhu, the sadhu sangha, we say sadhu sangha is the birth of bhakti, and he or she is moving according to the scripture, shastra chakshu. His or her eyes are the scripture. They're seeing the world through the scripture. That's why they don't make mistakes in that sense. Hmm? Because they, they see the world through the They don't mistake Maya for something other than what it is. Maya for Krishna. <laughs> something like that. Hmm. Hmm. So our faith is in what? It's in that argument. It's in that effort through logic and words to relate it's like a message from Goloka in our case that, that, that an invitation, a letter come, this is what's going on here don't think otherwise because that thinking is like this and that thinking is like it's a long letter many footnotes and many paragraphs many chapters and so forth right? but this is what it is, basically. So our faith comes from this. So, so in Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, when he talks about eligibility for bhakti, he talks about faith. And he, and he outlines, details, I should say, three levels of faith. Tender faith, Komal Shraddha, tender faith, which is faith that is not fortified by the scriptural argument. So, when other arguments come, it, it can be oh, overshadowed, overwhelmed. Hmm? It should come back up again and, and look for the answer to that question. Hmm? Then it gets it and feels strength again. Hmm? And then there's intermediate, intermediate level of eligibility, which is his or her practice is strong, having become acquainted with the argument of the sacred text and and seeing the looking at the world through that those eyes of the scripture although that level of a practitioner cannot necessarily give all the answers if someone should make an argument he's never or she's never swayed by other arguments he knows the arguments are there we can reply then there's the utum adhikar who has adhikar or eligibility uh, of the superlative level, who is characterized as Shastranipun, Shastrayukti. He or she is able to, has understood the argument so well that they can reason about it, its implications in different time, in different circumstance, uh, and so forth. Shastranipun, who can give, who can, has a kind of a genius, it means, scriptural, scriptural type of. Uh, genius, really living in the text, so to speak. Hmm? 
Somebody's got to be living in there, right? We hear about certain people that are living in there. We read about the Leela, so <laughs> you can go in there. It's the point, right? So this is uh, this is 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 an open book. It's uh, you know it's an invitation to enter in. So we should not underemphasize the importance of the scriptural knowledge, which your question is about. We, well, we need the knowledge to do bhakti, but at the same time, there may be this intellectual sleight of hand that occurs where I'm just collecting information and I'm getting, my head's getting fatter and fatter and I'm thinking I know something, but that information that I'm gathering, that some underground that I'm gathering is not being translated into practice. That's why I say, what? Use your head to soften your heart. So you don't use your head just to make it hard <laughs> and die of a heart attack <laughs> because your heart stopped beating. And that will happen. If you make this merely an intellectual exercise, study of the scripture and the, and the hearing and so forth, uh, gathering some bandhagyan, just an intellectual exercise, it never leaves your head. Hmm? So it goes in one ear and it kind of circulates around and around and around. And eventually it will go out the other ear. If it doesn't go down into your heart and bring about a change in you, hmm, then what will happen is you've collected this and, it, and you, you're in, you, you, you become, just like you can become a servant of your senses and be very embarrassed for what they may drive you to do, servant of your mind, you can become a servant of your intellect, a slave of your intellect also. You've got a very avaricious, big appetite, uh, avaricious, voracious, voracious intellectual appetite and capacity. Hmm? So you invested in, in the scripture and there's a lot to learn there. So for a while it's like, wow, he's, she's collecting all this. And they're able to understand it because they have a big, good, good intellect and but that's what they're, all they're doing. And then the next thing, the next book, I read that book, I read that book, I read that book, I read that book already. Hmm. Then you run out of books. Hmm. And then then there's, because you're just being driven by an intellectual appetite, hmm, it doesn't have the desired effect, and then they go off somewhere else. Hmm. I understood that. It wasn't what I thought it was. First I thought it was... Then I realized. So they didn't, they didn't understand any of the books, really. Let them come back. That person come back and tell us how it, you know, argue with with, with someone who, who has taken the knowledge and, as I said, let it enter into the heart and turn into and and foster action. Hmm? Let the gyan be a yagya. Krishna says, study of the Gita is gyan yagya. It's a sacrifice. Hmm? So you throw yourself into the sacrifice. Right? So let the knowledge go down into the heart. Hmm? So we should, we should study the scriptures with a view to hear something that I know is that's true and I make that part of my life. Hmm? It's like mining or something. There's a jewel. There's something valuable. Hmm? 
then I learned, oh, that should be left behind. So this is, uh, and of course, devotees have different capacities to, to know the scripture. Therefore, we have two Bhagavatams, the book Bhagavatam and the person Bhagavatam. So we, we study the book as best we can and we serve the person who exemplifies the, 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 the text. Become attached to that person. The attachment to that person will bring about liberation and more. Bhagavatam says the same attachment to ordinary people when transferred to sadhus, real sadhus, it has the opposite effect. Attachment to ordinary people means material life. Attachment to sadhus. Um, and attachment means we want to do what they say or follow their example and understand it. So uh, I think that... that uh, one of the ways to uh, safeguard oneself against this intellectual sleight of hand is, of course, and this is what's recommended, is to study the scriptures from somebody who knows them, who's an embodiment of them, not just yourself, and avoid the... Uh, the opportunity to be corrected, to be taught, um, to, to, to this, is, this is very much there, emphasized in the teaching itself, to have sadhu sangha on an ongoing basis, to associate with advanced devotees. Hmm? So if we stay in, in, in real sadhu sangha that challenges our understanding, causes us to grow, and so forth, then we have a good chance of avoiding that. Um, but sometimes we hear, oh, you know, that's just intellectual study. You know, he knows so many verses, you know. <laughs> As an excuse not to embrace a conclusion of the Bhakti Shastras that if that person will embrace their a it will constitute a putting a, a foundational block in the temple of bhakti that they're trying to construct in their heart i mean i, I have this experience of you, you try to weigh in somebody asks you you weigh in you give the definitive scriptural explanation and it's turns out to be different than what another devotee was thinking it has been all along. And they're wrong about it. Hmm? So it's a problem. So you give the correct and then answer, and then it's, they say, well, he's just an intellectual. Hmm? Well, that's just gyan. So this is a real, this is a misunderstanding. Hmm? This happens, unfortunately. So, Prabhupada they told us we should sit like scientists and study the books. And, and they're quite relishable. Does that help? Thank you. My question was very badly phrased, but that's wonderful. But that's what you were asking about, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And the guru, the sadhu is, uh, is like uh, married to the scripture and they never get divorced, right? The importance of the scripture too is 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 to, is to um, save us from someone who's making it up as, as they go along, so to speak. There's, in other words, there's a standard of knowledge, and we refer to that, and it's the it's the revelation. We refer to the revelation, refer to the revelation. So there's a there's a way to come to a conclusion. There's a way to distinguish between this guy's making it up here and. And, um, and, uh, and another person is actually on the path, solidly worth, worth listening to. What else? Omarash, I was wondering, <clears throat> been wondering for a while now uh, about what your opinion might be about the importance of Harinam Sankirtan outreach, or not as an outreach, so to say, but means to purify and sort of energize one's practice. Yeah, they can do that. Um, um, it can do that. Uh, because it can be very consuming to try to explain what you're about what your book is about to someone. Hmm? It can force you to understand the book better yourself, why you're doing what you're doing. When you hear yourself talking about it to someone else, uh, you think, I should be listening to this myself. Hmm? You have to be careful that you don't become your enemy at the, you know, uh, what's that, what's that poem? And I became my enemy the moment I began to preach. No, Bob Dylan song, I think. Um, so, you're preaching and you realize, well, I'm against what I'm doing, what I'm saying here. I'm saying this to that person, but I'm not doing that. So then, there's, there, hopefully, you're going to take it seriously when it's coming out of your own mouth. <laughs> and you're hearing with your ears, you're trying to convince him. So it has that effect, right? And then just the very, like I said earlier, the how am I going to talk about this? And as you talk about it, you know, you start to understand it better. You're able to articulate what you believe. So it has that that power. Hmm? It can be very um, consuming. Uh, at the same time, when we say to preach or do outreach. Uh, the real preacher, if you will, is, is the Acharya. And we're all assisting him or her. And according to our realization, we're, we're preaching. Um, not beyond the level of our realization. So we have to be able to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I could bring you to someone who can answer that, my teacher. I'm a novice, and so forth. So it's it's it has anyway it has that power and you may have experienced it to some extent that it's consuming but there's another side to it as well because with preaching 
can come prestige. If you can explain the teaching, another devotee will listen, another person will listen, and they'll think, oh, he knows, she knows this. And, and so naturally some wave of honor comes. And then what can happen is, what that is, is that's a weed to the, to the vine of bhakti that you're, that's been planted, the seed of which you've been given, the watering of which is, is, is the siksha, the diksha is the seed and uh, the faith, and, and the watering is, 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 is the siksha. And as you water the plant, then also weeds can come. So I'm explaining it, even to the person I'm explaining to is going, if they're listening to me and, they, and that resonates with them, they want to become a devotee themselves and they're honoring you. You brought me here. He taught me that. And this one did too and that one. And suddenly, the, the preacher can be riding on the waves of prestige, pratishta, bhakti, Madhurya Kadambani, a book of Vishwanath Chakvati Thakur explains that there are anarthas, hmm, uh, false values that, that can arise in the context of the culture of bhakti. Like weeds can grow when watering the plant. And if we start to misidentify the weed with the plant, then we're only watering the weed and it will choke the plant. When Bhakti Balabhatirtha Maharaj, who was the successor of Bhakti Daityamad of Maharaj, a, a godbrother of my Guru Maharaj and a disciple of Bhakti Saraswati Thakur, when, when Balabhatirtha Maharaj was asked by Pramod Puri Goswami, another godbrother of my Guru, to go and preach in the West, hmm, um, he did so because uh, Pramod Puri Goswami Maharaj asked him, and then he had to bring a couple of assistants with him. He was elderly and so forth. And so he chose to bring two householder assistants with him rather than two sannyasis in his mission because he was concerned that if the sannyasis come to America and preach, then when they go back to the homeland of India, they will be distinguished from the other sannyasis as these sannyasis who went to the West, which is a, which is, it might not seem like a big thing, but it's kind of a big thing, given the mindset of India, and Bhakti Siddhanta sent the first missionary to the West, to preach. It was a big, to do. Now going to, you send your missionaries to India. We're sending a missionary to London. Turn the ta- turn the tide, turn the tables, hmm? right? And so, wow, he went there and he was successful and went to the West. And so, uh, you know, that kind of thinking is a little bit there. You know, maybe not so much now, but it was in the time of Madhav Maharaj, for example, and Subala Bhattirtha Maharaj being taking precautions. To protect uh, uh, some of his younger students who were sannyasis from this prestige 
that they would get. He took householders, because, you know, householders. Yeah. In Godimath, it is householders anyway. So They're pukka householders, ripe householders. Pukka means like ripe fruit. It is perfect households, which means... <laughs> that's how they think about it, so... <laughs> um, so, anyway, he brought two householders... We actually hosted them at, at Audaria for one, one weekend. I gave Balabatirtha Marsh my own bed to rest during the day. Later that householder told me, one of them said, I've never seen anything like that. That you would give your own bed to our Guru Maharaj. Who are you? He was like that. I said, I'm nobody. <laughs> so, uh, so prestige, pratishta, this can come to someone who, who has learned how to explain. You know, it's an art. You start to learn it, you figure it out. Just like music, you can learn music, you do kirtan, and you can be a good kirtaneer. Hmm? And people like music. Hmm? You know, there used to be a time if you could have a guitar, you could have a harem, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> no problem. Oh, it sounds so good. Uh, so, uh, similar. You can learn the music, learn it, learn a kirtan, professional music, and 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 then prestige will come to you. Oh, he's that so and so lead the kirtan. I mean, we do want musically good kirtans, but we want more than that kirtan with real feeling and realization. That's why when Bhakti Sarsitaka was passing from the world, he asked for Narottam Thakur's song, Sri Rupa Manjari Pada, to be sung. And when it began to be sung, it was, it was sung by Purmash, who had a beautiful voice and was famous for kirtan. But, but, but Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur started said, no, I want to hear Sridharmarsh. He has, because he has deep realization, it was basically what he was saying about what this song's about, even though Sridhar Marsh was not a kirtanir. Hmm? Of course, when we hear now, there is a recording of him hearing Sri Vajari Pada, we think, eh, this is really good. Hmm? Right? And it is. Hmm? Yeah. All the, all the uh, God brothers, other disciples of Pakistan, oh, they took note of that hmm? at that time. So, uh, whether it be preaching, that's also an art, like music, you can learn it. Um, and 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 it can be a uh, just a, an engine for pratishta. So you have to be able to digest that, digest the honor that comes from to you. To caution us about this, I think it was Jiva Goswami said that pratishta that can come so easily from preaching is like the stool of a pig. Pigs eat stool. What their stool must be like. This should be avoided. So, when I was young, whenever, and I was very, very focused at all times, where my thoughts were, when any thought would come 
to me, whether I was taking a shower or walking or here, where, 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 of, 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 hmm, you know, they liked that. That was good. You know, contemplating the appreciation. Hmm? If a thought that contemplated the appreciation that was readily available to me for my, my service in preaching, I would immediately spit. Hmm? That's how I did away with it. Because it comes. Hmm? The mind is there to take a ride on the mind and just see. And you think, they think I'm advanced. I am advanced. I brought him here. I taught him. I said, that was a great class I gave. Just see. And you ride on that. So as soon as he said, wasn't that a great class? You're riding on that. And that's how I used to used to deal with that. And I got a lot of distinction for what I was, what I, my, my, my service, which was both in the field, outreach, selling the books, and then in, in the temple, giving the classes as well. So, so, yes and no is the answer. Yes, usually it is for me. And it could be, could be not. Could be good. It <laughs> could be a problem. I've seen it be good for persons. I've seen it be a problem for persons also, devotees. Hmm? Um, so, therefore, it's good to check in and be under good, 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 good guidance and so forth. Hmm? Um, yeah. Would you say this applies to kirtan as a musical as, uh, or as a, as a, as a yagya? Well, um, it would be harder to get appreciation <laughs> for that. <laughs> they might think you're nuts, right? They might even throw things at you. I've had that happen. So, um, but that said, I think that um, to do Harinam Sankirtan in the streets. Is obviously something that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu inaugurated, hmm? but he was also doing it in a time and a place and so forth, where, although controversial, which it was, so much so that people thought, some people thought, if you chant the name of Krishna, the power out loud, the power will go away. That shouldn't be done. So there was some objection, and it was a new, new light if you will, into all that the scripture has to say, for example, about Nam. Hmm? And he was bringing that to light, and so forth, and it was, it was met with opposition. People complained about the late-night kirtans, and, and so forth. Um, so, there's something to be said for, even if it's not popular, you know, it could be done, and so forth. But there's also something to be said for time and circumstance, because there's um, if your objective is to share with other people and by that grow yourself, which is a nice idea, and there may be other ways to do that, that uh, by using your intelligence you could come up with and be more effective. So I'll give you an example. We used to do Harinam in Bombay when Prabhupada was uh, trying to build a temple there. But the people were not appreciating and they were ridiculing and so forth. The Prabhupada told us to stop the Harinam. 
So there may be, there was a time in the 60s and 70s where it was kind of like, kind of like a charming thing, like there are the Krishnas out there, you know, and they're chanting. In those days, they were all dressed in dhotis and saris with tilak and and uh, it was the 60s, the 70s. It was a time for people, young people, to be in the streets with new ideas and so forth. So it wasn't, it was it was different for sure. But in another sense, it wasn't as out of place. Now if you have, in the name of Harinam Sankirtan, you know, and you got one colored sock on one, one foot and one ankle, another colored sock on the other one, one person's, uh, you know, Got a beard and and long hair. Another one's got a shaved head, and they're in different attire, and they look like you know, just a, a kind of disheveled, you know, people from different backgrounds in their in their in their chanting, and you know. Getting, trying to get people to dance, and it's a little bit probably, you know, to give a contrast, perhaps that if you learn the Bengali melodies and sing, people will, on the street, people throw money at you. So there's a way to do it that could be attractive, and there's a way to do it that, in the name of it, must be done. Let's get out there and do Hari Dham. It's, it's probably not doing much for you, and it's probably not doing much for anybody else either. So, again, <laughs> there, there may be place for that. I used to do Harinam by myself. Hmm? I used to go out in Hollywood Boulevard and chant with cartels hmm? for 20 minutes, half hour. And then I would distribute books for an hour, then I would come back and I would chant. Hmm? Then I would distribute books, then I would come back and chant. Hmm? And I would get on the bus and go back to the temple. Hmm? The next day I would come out after a while, the bus driver said, You all people here, you should listen to this boy. He knows. He's a preacher. He knows. He knows something. <laughs> anyway, so, not that it was good or bad or what, but that's how, I, you know, there's a place for that. I used to do that. It was very, it was very um, good for me. So you have some attraction for that, and that's why you asked. So there's a place for that, and and uh, there's a, there's an, an abuse of it also. In other words, you have this like just dogmatic idea. I have to do hard on. That's what it's all about, right? And, and it doesn't take into consideration the time, the circumstance, and uh, so many things that have been said. The way acharyas have dealt with this, and so on. The common prophet, for example, in Bombay, stopping it. Uh, I cited. Does that help? Okay. Harinam Sankirtan ki jai. Brihat Madanga ki jai. Go Nitinanda ki jai. Ajigopal ki jai. Go Vishnu Guru Parampara ki jai. Go Bhaktivinda ki jai. Go Premanandi.